Welcome back to Zach News on Riot Radio. I'm your host, Zach Kingston. Today we'll be discussing the following. Durham is warning of lane restrictions in and around Uxbridge. Construction will be taking place on a Durham Region Road in Uxbridge. This construction will be taking place on the York Durham Line Regional Road 8. And this construction will be taking place between June 17th and 19th from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. However, unfavorable weather conditions may influence the work schedule. We'll also be talking about Oshawa rolling back large downtown business levy increases. Then we'll be discussing how some Durham restaurants are ready to open up Friday. And in particular, we'll be talking about one Moxie's in Pickering. Then we'll be talking about how Oshawa is spending money on their downtown security patrol that they're intending to set up. Then we'll be talking about North Durham residents looking for more flexible transit options. Then we'll discuss Scugog and supports the Durham police efforts to embrace equality. Then we'll talk about some Blue Jays players as well as coaches refusing to pay rent for their Toronto condos, blaming COVID-19. Then we'll discuss Canada losing its bid for a seat on the UN Security Council. And finally, to wrap up the day, we'll talk about the 75-year-old protester who was shoved to the ground by Buffalo police and has permanently now suffered a fractured skull. As well, we'll talk about Jagmeet Singh being ejected from the House of Commons yesterday and calling another member of the Bloc Quebec racist. The Durham Region is informing residents of construction that will be taking place in the Uxbridge area on the York-Durham Line Regional Road 30, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., from June 17th to June 19th. The region also states that unfavorable weather conditions may influence the work schedule. They say that the work will take place on York Durham Line, just south of Regional Road 8 and just to the north of Vivian Road, and along Road Regional 8 from York Durham Line to 200 meters east. They say the roadway will be reduced to one lane with flagging people in place and drivers are asked to be cautious and ask for the safety of pedestrians and cyclists as well as work crew to take precautions. Scoodog is supporting Durham Police's efforts to embrace equality. Scoodog's mayor, Bobby Drew, stated that the municipality stands behind the Durham Regional Police Service and its stated effort to embrace inclusion and diversity. The mayor stated, We have all been greatly impacted by the events happening around the globe in responding to systematic racism and discrimination. This is according to the mayor. At the start of June 15th Municipal Council meeting, or sorry, Municipal Committee meeting, we acknowledge we build alliances and seek solutions to achieve safer and more inclusive community. We acknowledge that the broader community has made mistakes in the past and that peaceful demonstrations have brought to light the need for further and enhanced engagement. This is all according to Scugog Mayor Bobby Drew. The mayor's remarks, these came on the heels of protests across the planet decrying racism, particularly among police officers, after a white police officer put his knee on the black man in Minneapolis, George Floyd, ultimately killing him. In the wake of Mr. Floyd's death, there have been hundreds and millions of protests around the globe, 
and police forces have been facing backlash from public, in some cases having to respond to years of old videos, this is police forces, showing violent confrontations between officers and black citizens. Suyog in particular, at least the mayor, is saying that they support the changes to embrace diversity and inclusion, and they support the efforts of the Durham Regional Police Service. And this is all in an attempt to go after equality and embrace inclusion as well as diversity. These would be achieved through training and through equity and inclusion unit, and this is according to Mayor Bobby Drew. The Durham Regional Police Chief Paul Martin issued a statement in early June, shortly after Mr. Floyd's death and about the subsequent protests. Acknowledging the rise in tensions over police mistreatment of black people and pledging to work with the community to do better come future. We acknowledge that there has been times that we have failed you in the past. The statement issued in mid-June, at midday in June 3rd said, We acknowledge that the time to build alliances, seek solutions, and implement change is long overdue. The chief statement referred to an American an American incident specifically, we do not support, nor condone, nor practice in any fashion kneeling on human beings' necks, long past the point of consciousness, it said. Many of us have reached out to ex- many of you have reached out to us to express your frustration, to inquire what we will need to do next, to investigate what strategies we are employing to ensure that this doesn't happen here. This is according to the chief. The chief stated, please know that we are committed to continuously improving our training, education, and conduct, and accountability practices, and that we are listening to the collective voices of the community of the Durham region. So on June 16th, following its monthly scheduled meeting, the Durham Regional Police Services Board also weighed in. So here's what they had to say about the issue. For far too long, black communities and racialized people have felt the impacts of systemic racism and discrimination as well as oppression in every aspects of their lives. George Floyd's death has sparked another reminder that this issue extends very deep into systems and that it puts in place to keep our communities safe and protect. So they're saying that this issue extends very deeply into systems such as policing that are put in place to protect the communities and the people who live in them. This is troubling and that we need to do better. This is all according to the statement from the Police Services Board, which Mayor Drew, who's the mayor of Skugog, is serves on and she is the vice chair of this committee. This, mean, this means acknowledging the times that we have failed the past and working to improve our training, education, conduct, accountability, and practices. As, of course, this is from Mayor Bobby Drew of Skugog, who is the Vice Chair of the Police Services Board of the Durham Region. She states that our first and foremost priority is to ensure the safety of all the residents of the Durham region. She says that they are committed to supporting strong change, pursuing equality, embracing diversity and inclusion. She also stated that the police services board is kneeling with you. We are marching with you and we stand beside you. And this is from Mayor Bobby Drew, who serves as the vice chair on the police Durham Regional Police Services Board. Oshawa is rolling back its large business downtown levy increase. Oshawa Council has cut the downtown BIA tax levy in half in response to pressures from businesses who were upset about the large increase in 2020 as they struggle due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As a result of the cut, tax levy payments from the BIA from the 
to the BIA from the city will be dropped about roughly two hundred and sixty thousand to two thousand to two hundred sixty eight thousand three hundred seventy five dollars. The downtown BIA is a section of the city centered in the downtown where the property owner pays a levy in addition to property taxes that goes to the BIA organization. The BIA uses these dollars to promote to promote the BIA areas and events run in the area as well as beautify the area. In February, council endorsed a plan to allow the BIA to increase their budget from roughly $250,000 annually to $650,000 by eliminating the $5,500 cap and basing levies on property value. However, this left 21 businesses paying more than $5,500 and 4 businesses paying more than $12,000 with the largest impact on the Oshawa Clinic Group, which is facing around $50,000 in levy payments. Obviously, that this was pointed out that this is ridiculous considering that these businesses were facing COVID-19. Louise Parks, who's a downtown business owner, and she runs as a boutique call center and is a former Oshawa counselor, along with her husband, Daryl Sherman, who owns Wilson Furniture in the downtown. They led the charge in asking council to reconsider the levy charge increase, given that many businesses were struggling due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Parks pointed out that many of the BIA events, like Cars on King, would not be held in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. She expressed relief that council opted to roll back the levy. So, taxation on cities' businesses can affect its competitiveness, and this is according to Parks. It has been allowed, we would have been paying, if this would have been allowed, she stated, we would have been paying 11 more percent than any other businesses in town, including Oshawa Center, and that would be a death knell. Before council reduced the levy by $260,000, the BIA has presented council with a budget that includes $120,000 cut. BIA executive Amanda McDonald said the larger than expected cut will mean that staff and other reduction cuts will occur. According to the executive, the BIA is going to do the best we can to deliver the programs that we can with the decision made by council. While we had planned for a vision where we saw 2020, where we saw 2020, council has given us this direction, she said. The cut will also impact planned events. So it will impact planned events, which include these 20 events in particular, um, which have adapted for COVID-19. So this will include a Winter Festival of Lights, marketing and promotion, seasonal beautification. It also includes economic development projects. And the Oshawa Clinic Group CF- CEO, Jeff Ward, said his company pays roughly 500000 in property taxes for four properties in the downtown, the largest of which is the medical building at 117 King Street East. Under the old levy system, the clinic group would pay about 7600 in BIA levies for the four properties, but the rate was set to go up roughly $50,000 in a single year under the uncapped system passed in February. If you reserve about three years ago, if you reverse, sorry, about three years ago, our levy was zero before they expanded the BIA boundary. So a few years ago, they were proposing paying no levy to $50,000. When council opted to reduce the BIA budget on June 9th, it did not reinstitute the cap. 
So, Warford said the Oshawa Clinic Group is expecting to have to pay roughly $25,000 in BIA levies this year, which he admits is better than $50,000. He said, effectively, it comes out of our physicians' pockets, the business owners' pockets, and he said, it's not like all of a sudden we can see more patients. The referrals and volumes are what they are. In fact, they're less because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So that is what's taking place in Oshawa. Oshawa has removed this levy that the BIA asked for. And the BIA is only in this one certain area of downtown Oshawa. And so now their budget has been cut from about 50000 down to about 25000 is about what the, um, not the budget, but what the, the largest property owner will be paying. About 50000 was originally what he was going to pay. Now he's paying 25000 So Durham Region restaurants are preparing to reopen. Now, this is with some conditions. So this week we learned on Monday from the Ford government, the Ontario government, Premier Ford, that Durham Region, along with several other regions, would be entering stage two of the reopening phase from the COVID-19 pandemic. So currently the three three regions will remain in stage one and every other region in the province will be allowed to go to stage two that wasn't already in stage two. So Toronto, Peel Region, and Windsor-Essex will all remain in Stage 1, while all the other regions within the province that were not in Stage 2, so this is Durham, York, Halton, Hamilton, um, this is also Burlington and Niagara, as well as Sarnia-Lampton, will now all proceed to Stage 2. And as a result, Durham Region restaurants are excited to get open. After months of being closed, the restaurants can't wait to get their doors open and have their patios hopping when they're able to start opening up this Friday. In mid-March, the Ontario government instructed dine-in restaurants to close their doors due to the COVID-19. And as a result, only restaurants could only do take-out orders. In early May... Moxie's opened up again for takeout. This is a Moxie's restaurant in Pickering that I'm talking about in particular. And so they did takeout service and delivery service only. But now with some provincial restrictions being lifted, their patio can once again reopen. So starting this Friday, any zones that will be entering stage two this Friday, restaurants in those regions can open their patios. So Moxie's is ready to go and open their patio. They're ready to get people in to sit in their patio. Patrons can come to the door on the day off, so this can be Friday, and the hostess will be standing outside taking names if there is a wait. When the table is ready, the hostess can text the party or if they prefer to wait somewhere if they would prefer to wait elsewhere instead of having to wait right in line. We will have some waiting areas out front that will be six feet apart. This is according to Jackson, who works for Moxie's who is the director of operations for Moxie's, actually. So this is just one of the businesses that's ready to open up in the Durham region. Another business in Uxbridge, which I did see was getting ready, is um, Urban Pantry. I was taking a drive around Uxbridge last night and happened to notice that Urban Pantry was cleaning off and getting their patio ready to open up. I know that a lot of other restaurants and bars and establishments with patios outdoors are looking forward to opening up in the coming day 
and that this is good for restaurants in Ontario as it will help them to start on the road to recovery and recuperating costs and money and profits that they lost during the COVID-19 pandemic. As well, it will allow patrons to finally now go back out for dinner. However, not inside at this time, but outside. So that is a pretty good trade-off that at least we can go out somewhere even though we can't eat inside. So this will start this Friday for any zones that are now entering stage two a lot of the province was already in stage two however a lot of areas within the gta and sunbound towards windsor did not go to stage two and only three regions now will remain in stage one and the rest of the regions in ontario will now be in stage two as of tomorrow oshawa is going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a downtown security patrol this is all due to partially to the COVID-19 pandemic. Oshawa councillors voted to spend $100,000 on private security patrol for the Oshawa's, for some of Oshawa's downtown area. The dollars will be used to hire two security officers to patrol the downtown with the contract awarded to CDN Protection, a company that already does patrol in the downtown for private property owners. City staff anticipate that the contract will roughly be three months. So what's going to take place? So in moving a motion, Councillor Bradley Marks cited the decrease in the downtown traffic and pedestrian activity due to COVID-19, leading to an increase in the number of unsheltered people in the downtown. He, say, he cited issues related to drug use, graffiti, defacing property on private and public property. So basically, these people are going to be hired in two security officers to patrol downtown areas of Oshawa to protect against graffiti, defacing of private property and public property, as well as to help with getting people to stop using drugs in downtown Oshawa. The councillor also stated that he knows that a lot of people people downtown there do require assistance and that there are a lot of good obey, obeying citizens who obey the law. And that he told council before his motion passed, adding that a lot of people are accessing services at backdoor missions, which have become a hub for services. But there is a contingent of people who continue to create some lawlessness, and that makes it difficult for our staff to operate. They're nervous to operate in some of these areas. We can't surrender Memorial Park to some of this lawlessness. It's a community jewel and that represents our war dead. During the same meeting, Oshawa counselors heard from the Oshawa Clinic Group. In a letter on tax levies, the clinic group, Jeff Ward, touched on some of the challenges in the downtown, including patients, physicians, and employees are being accosted and, vandal and vandalism is occurring due to some of these people who are now out on the streets who are, not, uh, who are kind of like homelessness and or um, on the streets and are not at home during this pandemic and due to the decrease in traffic. Before the pandemic, we regularly had people off the street who were not patients or customers Customers utilize our washroom. Now they're utilizing our parking lot and alleyways, said Waterford in an interview. The other day, we came into work at 7.30 in the morning and we had two people. It was raining and they were sleeping on the porch outside our clinic. He said the staff have also been seeing drugs used in the parking lot and that sometimes this makes them fearful of walking alone to their cars. Deputy Mayor of the city, 
Bob Chapman said the city already employs security on its own properties and police address criminal matters. But the idea of expanding security to address the gap between the two, they'll be helping. They'll be helping in some instances to protect properties and move some folks along. So they're not hanging around in areas. And in some cases, they're not doing drugs in places where we want people to come. This is according to the deputy mayor, Bob Chapman adding that there has been an increase in homeless population in the downtown core. I don't want people to get confused and think we're hiring a security company. It's not safe to go downtown because it's safe to go downtown, according to the deputy mayor. At the end of May, Oshawa committed $120,000 to extending Welcome Streets program to December. The program is a partnership with the Downtown Oshawa BIA and Community Carry a Community Health Center, which sees outreach workers walk the street, offering information about support services to vulnerable people and bridging the gaps between businesses and unsheltered population. Christine Thornton, who is the executive director of DIER, an anti-poverty research and advocacy group, says she strongly disagrees with the city's decision to spend $100,000 on security. She said that the pandemic has impacted things like families renting a larger room for groups of people sharing an apartment, which also ultimately led to more unsheltered residents in Oshawa. $100,000 could rent a lot more hotel rooms and it could provide a lot more meals for people. It could provide a lot of hours of drug and alcohol treatment, psychological counseling. It can be spent in so many better ways, she said, and I feel embarrassed that our city has decided to do this. And this is according to Christine Thornton, who is the director of DIRE, an anti-poverty research and advocacy group. And she says that she strongly disagrees with the city's decision. So North Durham residents are looking for more flexible transit and more convenient transit options. North Durham residents are looking for increased and expanded on-transit demand service. A request that the Durham Transit is looking in to provide its riderships of Scugog, Uxbridge, and Brock. This was one of the takeaways from the rule review conducted by the regional transit provider, which looked at what services are currently being offered to users across North Durham and how could it be improved. They want the transit to be available and convenient, and this is according to the Durham Region Transit Christopher Norris of the feedback of the feedback from a northern residence, he said, but it's got to be flexible, flexible enough that it becomes a viable option for them. The de- on-demand delivery, on de- sorry, the on-demand model allows for residents to schedule pickups and drop-offs wherever they are in the community with at least four hours notice. Riders can be picked up curbside or even driven directly to their destination to a bus stop or on a route that will continue to take them where they want to go. Among the recommendations for the rule re- review, which was launched in the spring of 2019, is for the Durham Region Transit to reduce the scheduling window for on-demand service to two hours notice and to expand the hours it's offered, providing earlier start times and later end times. Simply, there is a push among those in rural areas of Durham Region for on-demand service to be expanded and improved, as it is more favorable options than the infrequent than infrequent schedule service, said Norris, Durham Region's Transit Acting General Manager of Operations. We want to provide an opportunity and flexibility for residents to make transit 
a viable option for them, he said. Another key recommendation from the Rover Review is that implementation of an on-demand technology platform that is complementary and which has the capabilities to schedule both dispatch and both on-demand specialized services that coordinate with scheduled services networks to provide efficiencies, Norris said. Ideally, the technology platform would integrate the trip planning platform to provide customers with the ability to plan and pay for travel using mobile applications online or by phone. This type of advanced technology, according to Norris, will make the trip a little more spontaneous. Durham Region Transit is also looking at improving and expanding its park and ride options for northern riderships. Most trips in Durham Region are made by Provit. Most trips in rural Durham are made by private automobiles. And this this was said in a June 3rd report presented to the Transit Executive Committee. However, there is a segment of the driving population who would like to use DRT services to travel to major destinations, such as post-secondary campuses or the GO train if a park and ride facility was available to them. With this in mind, Transit Provider is eyeing upgrades to its existing carpool lot in carpool lot at the intersection of Simcoe Street and Shirley Road in the township of Scugog. The improvement would include an accessible bus stop and protected pedestrian and a protected pedestrian crossing. As well, the Durham Region Transit plans to consult with officials from the township of Scugog and Uxbridge and explore opportunities to establish park and ride locations with each of Port Perry and Uxbridge urban areas. The minimum amenities for such lots include connection to scheduled DRT service, fully accessible transit spots, a minimum of, of 10 parking spaces, winter maintenance, and other items such as bike racks. The regional transit service forecasts that $900,000 $900, in park and ride infrastructure may be necessary pending the location of these sites to implement further elements of the rural strategy in 2021 and 2022, according to the June report. Another highlight from the report, or the rural review, is the suggestion that the Durham Region Transit review the level of service and service delivery mode between Uxbridge, Port Perry, and between Uxbridge and Pickering within the urban settlements of Port Perry and Uxbridge. It is better it is better to run a big bus on a lower frequency or look at a on-demand it is better to run a big bus on a lower frequency or look at on-demand travel for local travel. This is according to Norris, adding that the review will be carried out in 2021, how we can best provide the local trip making. Some changes that will be implemented in September is the extension of the 950, the large bus, the large bus that travels between Uxbridge Port Perry and currently taking riders to the Durham College North Campus in Oshawa, as well to the Durham College in Oshawa, and then it will continue now to go on to the Ghost go station in whippy it has been really an enlightening process that will permit the durham transit to move forward and provide transit in the durham region and rural areas we look forward to launching some of the next steps at norris of the review members of the toronto blue jays are being accused of not paying their rent 
in their condo, Toronto condos that they have rented for the MLB season during this COVID-19 pandemic. Toronto Blue Jays slugger Rowdy Telez and First Beach Coast Mars Mark Bud Zinski are accused of leaving a pair of Toronto landlords on the hook for thousands of dollars in unpaid rents after signing leases for downtown Toronto condos. Both men, since the COVID-19 pandemic and Major League Baseball has suspended, are currently living in the U.S. and claim that they shouldn't have to pay their Toronto rent. Tolez has received a lot of money, including an $850,000 signing bonus in U.S. money, after being drafted by the Blue Jays in 2014, and he's since made hundreds of thousands of more playing for the Blue Jays. But he hasn't paid his $4,100 monthly rent payment since March, and his landlord, Linda Pinazotto, says, I'm feeling that I'm being disrespected. I rent out my place to him in good faith, she said. She's saying that she sold CBC... The landlord showed CBC the rent lease, which indicates that Telez signed in January the contract for a two-bedroom furnished condo building on Blue Jays Waves, stepped from the Rogers Center, where the team normally plays. The lease kicked in on March 24, 2020, but the landlord said after paying first and last month's rent, Telez hasn't made any other payments. It could have easily been put on the long-term rental market, and I didn't do that. I gave him it for six months in good faith because he was with the Blue Jays, and I trust level, and a trust level goes with that. She also says that losses as up. As it stands, Telez is not using his Toronto apartment or condo as the U.S.-Canada border is shut down and has been shut down for non-essential travel since March. Telez, through his lawyer based in Florida, said that the lease isn't legally binding anymore. Is there an, is there an assumption under which the lease was entered into that there would be a baseball season and that Mr. Telez, who played for the Toronto Blue Jays, would be using that apartment? A provision in the contract appears to show that if Telez was traded or to be sent down to the minor leagues in another city, Either his new team would make the rent payments or if a suitable replacement tenant could be found that the landlord would rent the condo out to somebody else. Telez has neither been traded nor sent down to the miners, according to the landlord. So she should be, he, should, he should be paying the rent, according to the landlord. The landlord says that her losses continue to pile up. He's obligated to pay his rent. I still have to pay the mortgage and the taxes and the maintenance fees and so on. And on top of that, I have Wi-Fi and cable and hydro to deal with. Your client, your, your client left in the cloak of darkness. According to the lawyer, she has hired a Toronto-based lawyer. According to the landlord, sorry, she has hired a Toronto-based lawyer. To, in order to recuperate some of the revenue that has been lost in the non-paid rental fees. And continuing on, the first, the first uh, baseman says through his lawyer that they did not respond. 
The first baseman, through his lawyer, did not respond for questions from CBC. The landlord has also said that she's been unable to contact Telez directly to discuss the situation. While the landlord acknowledges Telez is the person who signed the leash, she wrote a lengthy 10-page letter to Blue Jays president, Mark Shapiro, in April, hoping the team might address the situation. Take control of... Take control of your out-of-country players and coaches to ensure they respect the playing field outside the Rogers Center, especially with local landlords and other citizens of our fine city, she wrote. She said an official an official with the team called her back, but unpaid rents remain unresolved. The Blue Jays organization did not requi- respond for question for comment from CBC. The landlord said she is not going to sell... She's not going to sell the condo, in part due to renters... Renter, in part due to the renter Arreris. As a 40-year-old veteran in the real estate industry, including founding the Condominium Owner Association, she says this is the landlord. She won't be easy finding a buyer during this pandemic, especially when the market is flooded with other condos for sale. Complicating matters, she said any potential buyer will be legally will legally be obliged to honor Telez's existing lease until it runs out in September, even if the lease is in a rise. Who is going to buy a condo where they're not paying where there's not a non paying attendant attached to the property? Aspazinto, the landlord. First beach coach Mark Bazinski, who is who has rented the condo from Pazinto's husband agreed to rent a condo on Wellington Street West to the Blue Jays' first baseman coach. So this is the husband of the female landlord who rented to Rowdy Telez, and he has rented to the first base coach. The former pro baseball player signed a six-month lease to a furnished one-bedroom condo plus a den at a cost of $3,100 a month. Um, The lease... The lease, which on the suit overlooks Rogers Center, was set to kick in on March 24th. I decided to do this purely on assumption. Hey, he's Blue Jay. He's a Blue Jay. I'm excited, said the landlord. He was excited to rent to a Blue Jay. Uh, Thomas said the coach paid first and last month's rents and made his April rent payment as well. I thought it was going great. First and last months were paid without any issue. And even in April, he contacted me with regards to paying. But a few days later, Thomas said he got a letter from his tenant's paralegal asking for all of his rent money back. Thomas calculates that the refund would amount to $9,300 plus loss for monthly rent remainder of the lease. That's really rubs, that really rubs me the wrong way, Thomas said. Thomas is the landlord. The coach, the first base coach, is now talking, taking Thomas to Ontario Landlord and Tenant Board. It handles disputes between landlords and their tenants. The coach is asking an adjudicator to cancel his lease as well as order the rent refunded. As you know, has there's been an extreme change in circumstances due to COVID-19, and my client indeed is unable to legally enter Canada, and to my understanding has not even been able to have the opportunity to pick up his keys, Toronto paralegal Jeffrey Shabs wrote to Thomas in April 30th email reviewed by CBC.
In his application to the LTB, which is the Landlord-Tenant Relations Board, Shab said that the first Beach Coast lease contract has been frustrated. It's a legal term suggesting the condo can't be accessed or used accessed or used during the pandemic and shuttered Canadian border. The Jay's first beach coach through the lawyer or legal assistant declined to be interviewed about the situation. An application was filed with the landlord and tenant board. On behalf of my client, he is scheduled and has been scheduled for later this month. My client will of course respect any decision made by the board wrote his legal assistant or legal uh, counsel. Leases legally binding contracts in Ontario. This is now from a lawyer, an Ontario real estate lawyer. Said that it stands, said as it stands, both Teles and the first beach coach, Buzninki, should be honoring their leases. They've signed legally binding contracts and unless there's something that says a pandemic allows us out of the contract, they're likely out of luck, he said. Okay, so this lawyer said that Buzz Buzzingy, the first beach coach, has a hill to climb to claim COVID-19 has legally frustrated the rental contract. Usually the rented property in question would have to be unavailable to unlivable to cancel a lease, he said. If there was a hurricane, a tidal wave, the house burned down, then for sure the contract is frustrated, which means cancelled. An adjudicator or judge will determine if COVID-19 is enough reason to cancel the lease. The legally responsible thing for them to do is to sublease to someone else and continue to pay the rent until a new tenant is found. And this is according to this lawyer. They have a legal responsibility to the landlord to pay the rent. The MLB season is on pause and has been on pause since March 12th when the league suspended spring training and delayed the start of the season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Both the league and the Players Association are still trying to work out when and if a season should resume and how much of their salaries should be paid during the shortened season. Meanwhile, players like Telez, who aren't guaranteed a spot on the Major League roster team, are being paid anywhere from $500 to $1,000 a day instead of full Major League salaries. Telez is listed as having a 2020 salary of $550,000 US. It is unclear how much the first base coach makes. However, he's a realtor in Virginia during the offseason. The team has asked many staff to take a 10% pay cut while the baseball season remains in limbo. So that is where that currently stands. These one player and one coach are being accused of not paying the rent. They're claiming that, hey, I shouldn't have to pay the rent. I can't even get into the country and the border shut down and we're not even playing baseball. So I should not have to pay the rent because I assume when I signed the lease contract that if anything were to happen to the baseball season, I'm not responsible. However, the landlords are saying, no, there's nothing in the contract that states that. And even with this pandemic, I'm still requiring for you to pay the rent. So it remains to be seen what will happen. However, in the case of the first base coach, it has going to the uh, tenant landlord relations board and we await an adjudication. So that will probably set a precedence for Telez, who is a player and first baseman, 
There we go. So now we will go on to Canada losing its bid for a UN Security Council seat. So Canada was up against Norway and Ireland to win a two-year temporary seat on the powerful UN Security Council. However, the vote took place yesterday. However, Canada lost. In order to get a seat, you needed to secure... You needed to secure a certain amount of votes. Norway and Ireland won the two temporarily available seats with 130 as well as 128 votes respectively. Canada got 108 votes, falling short of the 128 votes needed for a spot at the table. It's a heavy blow for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Foreign Affairs Minister Fran Francis Philippe Champagne and other high-level officials who have been reaching out to political leaders around the world on a campaign to secure one of the two available rotating seats. The Security Council holds 10 seats for temporary members and 5 seats for permanent members. The permanent members include the United States, the United Kingdom, France, Russia, and China, which have the power to veto any resolutions. So, Canada was unable to secure a seat most recently. We were also unable to secure a seat a, long, a while ago under Prime Minister Stephen Harper's government in 2010. So, shortly before the results rolled in yesterday, Prime Minister Trudeau cited Canada's record on combating climate change, promoting peace and security, as well as supporting developing countries and women's rights around the world. He stated that no matter what happens, Canada will continue to fight to reduce global conflict and social inequalities. So it seems as though the main reason for the reason that Justin Trudeau and his government wanted to get a seat on the Security Council was to, con to be able to continue to promote and export Canadian values at a higher level. However, the government says that this was not the be-all and end-all and that they will continue to promote these values around the world. They were hoping that if they had won a seat, this would really help them in promoting these values. The Liberal government spent about $2 million in total over the past four years. So in 2016, this is when the Trudeau government announced intentions to seek this seat. Um, and Norway and Ireland both announced in 2005 for Ireland and 2007 for Norway. So we were at a way disadvantage because... Um, we got in there only four years before, whereas other countries got in there long before us. Countries need the support of at least two-thirds of the General Assembly to get elected to the council, and Canada fell 20 votes short. However, we are still a member of the United Nations, as every country in the world is a part of the UN, whether they're a member or an observer state, which there was only two of, which is Palestine and the Vatican. However, um, this is a big loss for Justin Trudeau and his government, who were really hoping that Canada would win a seat on the UN Security Council after the, after the defeat of Prime Minister Stephen Harper's uh, attempt in 2010. You may have seen the video that news medias have been 
playing around the world of a 75-year-old protester being shoved to the ground by Buffalo police. Well, his lawyer is stating that his client, which is the 75-year-old protester whose head struck the pavement, he has a fractured skull. And as of Tuesday, his attorney said that he remained in hospital. Martin Gugino's lawyer told media outlets in recent days that he has not been able to walk. And that his uh, one of his other attorneys, Kelly Z Zarkrone, said in an email Tuesday that there was no change in his condition and that she expects a gradual improvement. The two Buffalo police officers involved in this case have been charged with second-degree assault after the widely shared video captured Gugino falling to the ground after being pushed on June 4th. He was seen bleeding from his head as officers walked away and did not render any help. The officers could face a prison sentence up to seven years if convicted. Both have pleaded at this time not guilty. This is one of several videos that has emerged in recent weeks following the that has emerged in recent weeks due to the protests of the death of George Floyd's with the use of excessive force against uh, against protesters and civilians. The Buffalo area protester has been described by friends, a veteran peace activist driven by his Catholic faith and desire for social justice. U.S. President Donald Trump, however, has made some false claims about this protester, claiming without evidence that the elderly protester could be an Antifa provocateur and involved in a possible setup and was using tracking devices to track down the police and trying to get himself positioned in such a way that the police would push him and you'd fall over and crack his skull which by all accounts is not true and even his friends have said he would he was not a guy like that he was not part of antifa and that he regularly just went out to partake partake in different protests on issues that he believed in and that he's a peaceful guy and that he would never hurt anybody or never purposely try and set up the police the lawyers for mr gagino have responded to the president's claim and refuted them by saying that the Claims that the president have made are utterly baseless and ridiculous, and this is not the type of thing that our client would partake in. The NDP leader yesterday in the House of Commons, the final sitting before the House adjourns for their summer vacation, was ejected from the House of Commons. This was as the NDP leader Jagmi Singh put forward a motion for unanimous consent to investigate the systemic racism within the RCMP. Jagmeet Singh put forward this motion and believed he had unanimous consent and the rest of the House seemed in favor. However, one member of the Bloc Quebec and the Bloc Quebec Party in general, one member in particular though, said no to this motion and as a result, Jagmeet Singh got a little angry with this member and called him a racist. Mr. Singh said to that member, you are a racist, and he refused to withdraw and or apologize for his comments. As a result, another member of the bloc uh, rose on a point of order stating that Mr. Singh had called one of the members in the Bloc Quebec party a racist. The speaker then the speaker then took action to deal with this issue, asking that Mr. Singh apologize and or withdraw his comments. Mr. Singh refused to withdraw and or apologize for his comments, and as a result, the action that the 
the Speaker of the House took was to remove Mr. Singh from the proceedings in the House for the rest of the day. However, people, even including the Prime Minister, have come out in backing Jagmeet Singh, stating that, stating that he has no place to tell the, the only racially racial Canadian leader in the House of Commons. He has no place to tell him what, what, what is racist and how he should behave. And that Prime Minister Trudeau called on the bloc to support more of this kind of motions, saying that there is racism in Canada and we need to address it and it is systematic. However, Mr. Trudeau did not explicitly say that the bloc are racist or that that particular member is racist. He did say, though, he's not going to tell Mr. Singh, a racial Canadian who is racially different than the other leaders in the House of Commons, that he is wrong. Singh stated that he stands by his words, and this was in a this was in a uh, press conference that he held later in the day after being kicked out of the House of Commons, and that really he was saddened by the matter. He was angry at the time, but he still stands by his words, and that he saddened by the matter that the ND, the uh, sorry the block would refuse a motion to do something good he believed which would be good for the country and good for everybody in trying to investigate and learn and root out systemic racism within the RCMP. The NDP leader has also gotten response from the Bloc Quebec leader, who issued a statement, uh, well, the party issued a statement later in the day saying that the discrimination against Indigenous communities and cultural minorities is a major issue for them, but the Public Safety Committee is currently studying systemic racism in the RCMP, and it should be allowed to do its work. The Bloc Quebec leader also holded a press conference today, this morning, in which he stated that his party, he doesn't believe that his party is racist, and he doesn't believe the individual member who Mr. Singh called a racist is a racist. One other development to tell you about on this story is Mr. Singh got up today to speak on the parliamentary COVID committee, the final meeting of this before summer, and the NDP, uh, the bloc, sorry, not the NDP, rose on a point of order in attempting to get Mr. Singh to be thrown out or being not allowed to speak today for his actions yesterday. However, the Speaker ruled that it wasn't the normal proceedings of the House and that this was a COVID committee of the whole and that Mr. Singh should be allowed to speak and that he would make a ruling on a later date before the House resumes on what, if any, more punishment would be coming for Mr. Singh. So Mr. Singh was allowed to ask questions of the Prime Minister today at the COVID Parliamentary Committee of the Whole. Thank you very much for tuning in to Zach News on Riot Radio. I look forward to seeing you back here soon. I hope you have a really good week. And playing us out today on Riot Radio is We Are the World by USA for Africa. Right here on RiotRadio.ca.
make a change We all are part of God's great big family And the truth, you know love is all we Must lend a helping hand. We are. 